this week we're looking at session six, when the Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit points people to the truth. We'll be in both John chapter 15 and John chapter 16 today, um, so we'll be looking there so you can flip over. As we <coughs> continue through the book of John, um, as we come to this lesson, they are still on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've left the upper room last week. Um, they were on their way. They're still there. They're still on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Last week we looked at uh, Jesus claimed that he was the vine, where the branches, and all of that. <clears throat> and as we come into this week, these are very specific teaching passages that Jesus had with the 12. Um, it's that last minute, I know I'm going to my death, and this is what you need to know. So when somebody is imminently going to die, they, their last statements are usually not frivolous. They, they tend to be very concise, very important information to communicate. And as they're making their way through the city to get to the garden, we see here that this is another passage on the Holy Spirit that who is going to be coming and uh, that Jesus is going to send. We as evangelicals tend to not bother with the Holy Spirit a whole lot. Uh, usually when we think about this, it, it's very, he's there and he has a purpose and all that, but we don't talk about him. Usually in, in Pentecostal circles, they, 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 they really talk about you know the Holy Spirit being slain in the Spirit or being... Um, raised up in the spirit or, or they've got a whole migrant of things and we we as evangelicals have kind of shied away from all of that but here we are this is this is the imminent death and arrest of Christ and he's taking the time to tell the disciples about the Holy Spirit so it must be important and I don't think we as evangelicals pay it a whole lot of attention because we misunderstand it. Um, with all the hubbubaloo and um, TV nonsense that, that has come in the last century, uh, we, we've kind of, we don't want to be with that crowd. And so we've ignored the Holy Spirit. And I don't think we understand what his purpose and his job is and what he does. Um, and we're going to see that today he is exceedingly important. We should be spending a lot more time not only paying attention to him, but understanding who and what he does. As we come to start this, we're going to be talking about him, but even more important is the idea of truth. Because in our world today, Truth is mutable, isn't it? It changes. It's fluid. You have your truth. I have my truth. Then there's the government's truth. Then there's the news media's truth. How do you know if a 
source of information, a source of truth that can be trusted. If they've been historically truthful, you can... Okay, so they have a history of being truthful. Example, Walter Cronkite. Most of you are in here are old enough to know who Walter Cronkite was. When he came on the news, we knew that he was trustworthy uh, about what he's going to tell us is the news, wasn't it? Yeah. Because historically, he had a long, long career of being truthful. Now there are some newer... Uh, anchors. Anchors. Sure, there you go. <laughs> you are anchor men that uh, are historically known to be <laughs> liars. Liars. <laughs> fabricators. Uh, spin masters. So that's okay. So that's one way. We have history. Now, what about somebody that you don't know? How do you know whether the, they can be a source of truth? Okay, you don't until you research it, okay. Until time bears it out. Time bears it out. Go or, ahead, Carl. Or if uh, there's two or three uh, of the same. Well, oh, there you go. You've got multiple witnesses, so their story lines up with others, okay? You know somebody who might know them? You know somebody that might know them. That's a good one. Let me throw a wrench in this and pose a different question. How does our bias cause us to discredit a truthful source? It doesn't line up with what we want to believe. Yeah. How does that, how does that affect us, though? Well, they can't be right because they disagree with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. We're seeing that a lot today, isn't it? And who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our bias, so our bias can color what we consider to be truthful. Have you ever stopped and considered that? Mm -hmm. When it comes to theology, scripture, Bible, all that churchy stuff, there's a lot of flavors out there, isn't there? And not all of them are trustworthy. trustworthy. <laughs> Some of them are just outright wrong. But as we've come into this, what is this, the 21st century? 22nd century? 21st. 21st, yeah. Yeah, because that was the 20th. Yeah, this is the 21st century. I always get it confused. Is it one forward or one back? As we are in this 21st century, We've, we've had, we're really struggling with what truth is. And that has flowed into religious teaching and religious circles. And so as people of, of God, we have a lot of discerning to do. So I'm going to put a statement up for us. The fashionable theology of the day is... <coughs> Convince men of the goodness of God. Show them the universal <coughs> fatherhood and assure them of unlimited mercy. Win them by God's love, but never mention his wrath against sin 
or the need of atonement, or the possibility of there being a place of punishment. Do not censor poor creatures for their failings. Do not judge and condemn. Do not search the heart or lead men to be low-spirited and sorrowful. Comfort and encourage, but never accuse and threaten. Does that sound about right? Sounds like society nowadays. Yeah. Sounds like society nowadays. Yeah, this, this, especially mainstream Christianity, this is what it's teaching, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They're all about God. Oh, Jesus is love. But Chris does it all the time, right? <laughs> this is what. It's interesting. Our world has become this, right? That we've gone from a world that believed in hell, that believed God would judge and punish, right? Mm -hmm. You know what's interesting? This isn't current day. This was preached by C.H. Spurgeon in, eight, in February wow. of 1883. 140 years ago, the world is just like it is today. It hasn't changed, has it? 140 years ago, on February, in, in February, he preached this. This was a statement, one of his opening statements for a sermon. The fashionable theology of the day. It's not just of the day, is it? No. No. It stems from not paying attention to the Holy Spirit. Because we've lost sight of what his job is. Because a few radicals a hundred years ago put on a show and claimed that it was the Spirit. And we have adversely denied ourselves connection to that. Because we didn't want to be part of it. And now we are disconnected from the very idea of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you um, the theological statement about the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what we get from Scripture. The Holy Spirit enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and in service. That's his job. That is what he does. He empowers. Why are we failing so bad in the world? Because we're not connected to him. We're ignoring him. We don't want any part of that. Oh, we don't want to be one of those people. We've disengaged from this. And so we don't have the enlightenment of the Spirit. Last week we talked about he is the what? No, Jesus is the vine, but the Holy Spirit was what? What was he called? Comforter. Well, yeah, he is a comforter. He's the spirit of truth. truth. That's the enlightenment part. If we want to know truth, we need to be paying attention and connected to him. That was the whole point of sending him, was that we would know truth. We just talked about how this world doesn't know what truth is. And then we need to 
figure out truth. No, we don't. We have the Holy Spirit. But we need to pay attention. That's what Jesus is going to be talking about as we look at this passage this morning. This is what he's instructing the disciples. If you want to know what's true, as we look at this, we want to keep in mind the future of when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and Peter comes out and starts preaching an amazing sermon to the people of Jerusalem. And he's not doing it just in his own language, but in multiple languages as he speaks in tongues. And the people are hearing and understanding who this Jesus was. That's what we're denying ourselves by not paying attention to the Spirit. So let's jump into this as we uh, get started this morning. John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. Somebody go ahead and read that. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. When the Helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to make us be doing crazy stuff, falling down and laughing ridiculously passing out because somebody waved their hand. That, that's not what his job is, is it? No. <clears throat> now, I love how this starts. We're starting right here in the middle of the chapter, right? Mm -hmm. What's the preceding of this in 18 through 25? What does Jesus tell the disciples? Because remember, this is basically his dying declaration. This is the last chance he's going to have to tell the disciples anything. What is it? The world's going to hate them. The world is going to hate you. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But how? But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Then he goes, but. This is a huge but. The world is going to hate you. They're going to persecute you and everything. Because they're going to do it to me. And they're thinking, well, yeah, okay, they don't like you and all that. But Jesus is thinking ahead, isn't he? In a couple of hours, or maybe even a couple of minutes, they're going to come, arrest him, put on a show trial, and then execute him. And he says, but when the helper comes, I will send to you from the Father the spirit of truth. This is the one that we trust. This is the one that allows us 
to know. I would say that's pretty important. As we're outlining the book of John, this is still the preparation. It's still the instruction of the twelve. And this is this instruction about the Spirit. The Spirit testifies because he is truth. He cannot do anything else but testify to the truth. Jesus came to do what? Testify to the truth. Testify to the truth. In a few short hours from now, he's going to stand before Pilate. And he's going to make that statement. Why are you here? Pilate's going to ask him. He said, I, I, I came to tell the truth. The truth about what? God. Well, not just God. About himself. Not just about himself. About he came truth. to testify the truth about? The Holy Spirit. Well, him as well. <laughs> We're beating around. Third time's a charm. Us! <laughs> he's come to testify about the truth of us, that we are fallen, that we are sinners, that we need him to save us. That's the truth he's coming to testify. Yes, we're going to learn a little bit about God. We're going to learn about a lot about him. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. But we're going to learn about ourselves. Because let's face it, when it comes to lies, we are great at deluding ourselves, aren't we? As we get older, we really delude ourselves. <laughs> it just happened to a friend of mine. Uh, he's in his mid to late 40s, and uh, this week his, his son plays on one of those soccer teams, and they had uh, a parent versus child soccer match. And uh, now he, he had played soccer even semi-professionally for a while in his younger days. And so he got out there, and he played on the parent team, and had this amazing, you know, head, headed it, chested it, and then gave this nice kick. And when his foot came down from kicking the ball into the goal, uh, he pulled his hamstring. And so now he's in a lot of pain because he's out there deluding himself that he's still in his early 20s. Now, I don't know, most of you guys in here would never, would, would never be like that, right? Uh, Absolutely. No, no. But we tend to delude ourselves. We need the Spirit to testify to us about ourselves, don't we? And about God. And about Jesus. That's how we get truth. There's the source of truth. He is the Spirit of truth. That is His purpose. The Spirit testifies about Jesus because He's God. He's going to leave them. That's what he's been prepping them for, right? Not that he's going to die, because he's going to raise again. But he's going to leave. He keeps talking about going to the Father. This isn't preparation for his crucifixion. This is preparation for him to move on to the next phase of his redemption plan. It's kind of like there was phase one. That's the whole Old Testament. Phase two was Jesus came and died and paid the price. Phase three is, is everybody doing what they've got to do, which is we go out and tell the world, right? Phase three is the implementation of this. And so the Spirit's coming 
to testify about Jesus. And then the Spirit testifies so that we are empowering us to testify as well. Because we know the truth, don't we? That's what your... Um, I just lost the word. The, uh, your, your testimony is. We talk about, you know, what's your testimony? That, that's, that's your understanding of the truth. That's what happened to you, what Christ did for you, and that's how the Spirit testifies through you about what God is doing in your life. You see how important he is? Comment? Question? John chapter 16, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Come on, don't be bashful this morning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin. Because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. It is good for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit will come. It's a good thing. Do you believe that? Do we act like that? <laughs> I think we don't think that that's a good thing that we wish Jesus was still here but it's a greater thing that he says that he leaves so that we can have the Holy Spirit and yet we don't we don't pay any attention to it that's because the Holy Spirit can be everywhere Jesus could only be at one place at one time exactly <laughs> this spirit that he is sending this comforter the Spirit convicts, he says. His job is to convict people of their sin. See, when we understand what his job is, we look at a lot of this other nonsense that's been painted around him, and we have to look at it and go, no, and say no to this. 
Not that we throw him out, you know, the whole saying, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is get rid of the water. We need to get rid of the bad theology that has crept in around the very idea of the Spirit. We need to take control of the situation by understanding and study and knowledge of what Jesus said about it and go, no, that's wrong. The Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. The world doesn't think there is such a thing, does it? Our world today thinks that whatever I do is okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Let's all agree that whatever we do is okay. We're passing all sorts of... There's lots of stuff that's legal nowadays that's morally reprehensible, isn't it? But just because it's morally wrong doesn't make it illegal. The problem is, is just because it's legal doesn't make it morally right either. There's a law above the law. There's what God intended. But the problem is, is that we got a lot of people out there going, well, if there's only the natural world, then anything I do is, that is natural because there's no such thing as unnatural. There can't be anything that's not of nature. Therefore, it must be okay. It must be good. It must be right. There's some problems with that. Because nature doesn't create the standard, does it? There is a standard, and the Spirit is coming to convict or convince the world that there is a particular righteousness. And God has already told us what it is. He's laid it out for us. We just don't like it. That's the problem. And the last thing he's going to convict of is judgment. He's going to convict the world of judgment. The world doesn't think there's any judgment. There's nothing after you die. You're just dead, right? You're worm food. You become cold and buried, and that's it. And the world has bought that. I mean, that's pretty sad. You get, what, 80 years if you're lucky? And then you're just worm food? I'm surprised most people just don't sit down and die. And do nothing. I mean, we're, we're chasing little pieces of paper with the majority of our life. And we're miserable about it. We don't even like what we do to get those little pieces of paper, right? I mean, I know very few people who actually like their jobs. Most people are like, well, I got to make a buck. I got bills to pay, right? And why do I have bills? Well, because, you know, I'm chasing stuff. I mean, if this is all there is, then pleasure would be the uh, currency. Whatever feels good to me, that's, you know, I only got, I only got so, many, so much time. I may as well enjoy it. Get whatever, whatever feels good, right? The world tries to live that way, but it doesn't work. There's some realities. And one of those realities is that we know that there's more to this world. Because the Holy Spirit has come and he's convincing us there's going to be a day of judgment. The Holy Spirit does not come to make sinners comfortable in their sin, but to cause them to grieve over their sins. That's why people are so miserable. They know they're doing wrong. They don't realize it, but they know it, because that's the Spirit's job. He's convicting the whole world. He does not help them to forget their sin, no matter how many bottles of whiskey they or shots of heroin they take, it doesn't go away. 
He does not help them to forget their sin or to think little of it, but he can, comes to convince them of the horrible enormity of their iniquity. That's what he's doing to the world. And he's been turning up the heat the last couple of decades, hasn't he? Because people have slid away from the morality that God gave us. And so the world is sinning more, most certainly. And I look at the day versus when I was a kid, the world is a much more horrible place. And it has nothing to do with wars, drugs, or any of that. I just have to look at how people treat other people. Mm -hmm. I look at the way that the internet has changed the way we communicate with other people. Yes, it's instantaneous, but it has become nasty. We shame people for nothing and make them feel horrible the way we treat each other. The whole idea in the Old Testament was that we were supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. He gave us all these rules of how to treat each other because that's what the Levitical law is, besides the part that tells us how to worship him, is how to treat other people properly. If your oxen gores somebody, pay up. No, now we lie about it. It wasn't my ox. It was a random ox. And we have to sue, and we drag them in the court, and so then we counter-sue. And all this money that's going round and round, rather than just doing the right thing, treat your neighbor not kindly. Apologize. We don't even apologize. Some judge says, well, you're going to pay. We get mad and all that. We never say we're sorry. We don't apologize that you took the life of that. We, we become a mean-spirited how I can get one over on them. Whether it's a business, the government, how can I get one over on the man? That's like a, that's like a hobby nowadays. Right? And we wonder why we're miserable, because we're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. The world is being convicted. He is making us feel this way. Well, we can fix that, right? We can just get some, get some uppers, some downers, some emotional modifiers. I take these pills, and that'll fix it. Has it fixed it? Does it help? Probably yeah. makes it worse. It probably makes it worse. Because the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention, and we're trying to ignore him chemically. The problem is, is that it's inside of us, isn't it? it? I'm not just talking about emotions here. I'm talking about there is something gnawing at your soul when you're living like this. That's his job. That's what he does. And sometimes he moves us to go and talk to somebody, to help them, to counsel them even. That, hey, you know what the problem is? You know why you're feeling so horribly? is it's this lifestyle you're living is contrary to what God wants. Comment, most question. counselors nowadays won't do that. No, well, they're, it's legally, they're legally not allowed. I know. You know Kaylin's a counselor. There's only, only if they give her permission can she actually tell, tell them something. Yeah. Otherwise, she's got to find ways to, to beat around that bush. Oh, yeah. So that they say it themselves. Right. And then once they say it, you can talk about it. And then you can jump on that. Yeah. I notice how people um, try to help themselves when they're in this terrible state by getting their gang around them, uh -huh. and all their gang. Yeah, you're you're right. You're okay. Yeah, you're the doing positive. the right. You know, like encouraging them in the bad stuff because they need people to tell them that they're okay when they know they're not. 
The problem is, is the Holy Spirit, somebody said it earlier, is everywhere. Yeah. And those still quiet moments of the dark, he's still gnawing at you while you're laying in your bed. Even when you're drunk out of your brain or high as a kite, he's still there, isn't he? And he's still gnawing at you. He doesn't go away because that's his job. What a horrible job. <laughs> but that's what God, Jesus said, this is a good thing. I'm sending him into the world. Because the only answer is himself. That's his job. And we're the ones that know that. And we need to be telling people. We need to be empowering them. It's not about conversion. It's about us helping people get saved. And I don't mean saved to go to heaven. I mean saved from themselves. Because we are self-destructive. We will destroy ourselves if left to unchecked. The Holy Spirit is checking it and pulling us to it. Last chance, comment, question? <coughs> All right, let's move on. John chapter 16, 12 through 15. <clears throat> I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. For whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. All right, this is important theologically as well as practically as we look at this. The Spirit will not speak on His own authority. That is a key <coughs> theological idea. Jesus Himself said the Spirit. Therefore, there will be nothing that, that we learn or gain from the Spirit. We get a lot of people who are like, well, I was in the Spirit and He told me this. Uh, and if it's contrary to anything Jesus has talked about or said, which includes the entire Old Testament since He is quoted from it and all that, it isn't from the Father. The Holy Spirit is not going to give us something that isn't already established because he doesn't speak with his own authority he is only speaking what he heard from the father we need to hold that as evangelicals we need to grab that hold that and use that as the standard as we navigate through the religious waters of our world because there are a lot of groups out there that claim they have a message from the spirit or this or that and they very well might but we have to judge it. This is how we know. Paul talks about how it, doing this. We need to know that the Spirit isn't going to change anything that's already been established from Scripture. Because Jesus has already laid it out and explained it all, right? He says that he still has many things to tell us. But they're not going to be different than what we already know, is it? Because he's speaking from the Father. Who already gave his law. Right? 
We need to, th this is something that we need to, we don't need to fear these people that show up and say, hey, I've got a message, or this, or that, or, you know, claiming to be some sort of prophet or prophetess or whatever. Because the Spirit does guide. He does. We need to accept that that is a fact as well. That the Spirit guides us and other individuals. But it's never contrary to what's already been done. If it is contrary, then it isn't from God. It isn't from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit guides us. He teaches us truth. Now the thing is, is we got to pay attention. We need to spend the time and effort in the study of the Word itself and do things like what we're doing now. But we need to do more than just me once an hour, once a week. I'm hoping if you're taking whatever I'm giving you in here and going home and going, you know what, I want to see this and go back through it and do your own studying and own reading and all that because I certainly have not exhausted any of these passages. <laughs> As I've said in other weeks where I've found passages that I have read but have never studied myself and gone, wow, how have I missed this in more than 30 years of ministry? Because there's so much there, right? So I'm not the end-all, be-all. Go home and read, study. Come back with questions because I love questions because that sends me to read and study if I don't know. He teaches us truth. That's what we've got to remember, his job is to tell us the truth about Jesus who told us about the Father. Secondly, he declares what is to come. That whole future. Now again, it has to line up with what we know about the future. Let's face it, there's a lot of future prophecies in the Old Testament that haven't come to pass yet. And anything that becomes contrary to that, that's nah, not true. It's a lie. It's false. Again, we, we have to know. We have to go back and do that study. And finally, the spirit, <coughs> and this is the this is the <coughs> ultimate test. The spirit guides us to glorify Jesus. He died. The Father is now set up. The Son on the right hand. He's sitting on the throne of glory. Anything that draws glory away from Jesus is a lie. lie. Anytime the spotlight isn't on Jesus, it's a lie. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do anything that doesn't glorify the Christ. Because he is worthy of all glory. Not some glory, not most glory. All glory. All glory. Therefore, there is no glory for me. There's no glory for you. It's all glory for him. And anything that is glorifying me, where I become the, the glory hound, is not of the Spirit. Because the Spirit doesn't testify to anything on his own. Only what he hears from the Father. And the Father's whole purpose at this point in time is to glorify the Son. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So now we have a narrow understanding of what the Spirit does and does not do and how he works. We don't need to be worried about what others are saying. We need to look at that and go, you know what, that's, that's untruthful. And put it aside. Don't believe the hype. There may be nuggets of truth in what they're saying. 
Let's pull them out. Let's take and use them. Comment, question as we look at this. We know the truth. The truth sets us free. Amen. I think we have the tendency to this whole great instantaneous information we have with our phones. <laughs> Don't give the Holy Spirit time to tell us different things. We're on the move or, you know, <coughs> yeah. Yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, that's so true because um, I had a professor in college. The whole class for the 16 weeks, he says, he, his catchphrase for the class, God's not in a hurry. He said that so many times, I think it finally sank in. <laughs> God grows things, and it isn't instantaneous. The only thing God ever did that was instantaneous was creation. Once he got it started, yeah, it, 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 didn't, it didn't go quick, did it? Once he added humanity, he started working and growing things. Abraham, you're going to have a son. He was 75. He didn't get that son till when? Moses. Moses was 90 when he finally led the people out of Egypt. It took him 90. I can't even imagine being 90. <laughs> but being called to lead the, what is it, like 1.2 million Israelites out of Egypt who were contrary and everything else and having to deal with that. I'm 90 years old. I'm like, no. We're in the but, desert. Oh, I know. The, the, yeah, the, the circumstances of that, I'm thinking, no. But, but then we look, at, we look at the other issues. Israel, not following God. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy you. Hundreds of years go by, the same message, I'm coming, because he's not in a hurry. I think you're right, Steve. I think with our day and age of instantaneous everything, we got Instapot. Turn it on in like 30 seconds, you got boiling water. You got instant meals, throw them in the nuker. You turn that microwave on, beep, beep, 30 seconds later, it's done. Our phone, I want to know something. Beep, 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 beep. We don't even know whether it's true or not. We don't know where it even came from. It's on my phone. It's got to be real. But we got instant information. We become so accustomed to that that we don't give this Holy Spirit a chance. And I think that's, you're right. I think we get led down the wrong path very quickly. And he's still there. He's still poking and prodding, but we haven't been given a chance to listen to him. Well, one of the things I, I fight with is, like, when things are going haywire, I'm going to say, why is this happening to me? You know, and ask me, hey, why is this happening? Instead of saying, well, what am I supposed to learn? And give the Holy Spirit a chance. What am I supposed to learn through this? And I, I sometimes I say, well, I already learned that. <laughs> There's a reason that one day in seven was a day of rest. Yeah. Really, I mean, it wasn't just, I mean, we, we turned it into a zoo of we got to go to church and do all these things, right? But it was meant to be a day of rest so that we could slow down, stop. Because that's when the Holy Spirit begins to think and speak to us, isn't it? Well, I say he's speaking to us, but it's when we begin to pay attention. Right. We now have the ability to hear because all the distraction of work and all that goes away. Those quiet moments where we're just sitting with a cup of coffee watching the birds play in the yard. 
right? It's funny because we, we see Abraham, he gets these messages and stuff. Where is he at? He's sitting out in front of his tent, just watching the sunrise, the sunset, the world go by. But we have so packed and filled our lives with scheduled events. Cindy. I think today people think they've got to hear an audible voice. A what? An, uh, that was if I knew this right. <laughs> <laughs> an audible voice? A voice? Voice that can be heard. Yeah, an audible voice. Yes. And instead the word is the voice. Yeah. It's the truth and the life. You know, because he says that in his word. So we're trying to look for something that will make us feel good. Well, <laughs> Jesus is the only one that can do that through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we need to stop and understand. I don't think, I think the word, I, I, I realize how important the word is. It's always been important. But as you get older, you realize you can't do nothing without Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we need to just stay steady in his word. It's funny. I'm, I am not a big proponent of uh, read through your Bible in a year. <laughs> I think that has done more to damage the Christian life than anything. Not that I don't think reading your Bible is important, but if you speed read through the Bible, when you actually get the chance to digest what you read and give the Holy Spirit a chance to it. So now we've got people that are they're listening to it in the car. Are they really listening to it? It's playing, but I got my Bible reading done for the day. Right? Or they, they, they're in, they get up extra early and they sit there and they're drinking their coffee and they're, they're looking at the passage. Are they really reading it? Because reading it requires the comprehension, which you can't do. You can't read 15 chapters and comprehend them. I mean, we're, we're doing what? 20, 30 verses a week? And I've scratched the surface on them and I've spent a week pondering, studying, and reading other materials to go along with it just to understand what it is to prep, to teach. Now, I'm not saying you're going to do that for every passage. But if we're supposed to know the word, the idea of knowing it intimately and all that, we're, we're not going to speed read through all those chapters, all those books in a year. And people think this, well, I checked it off. Boom, I got my Bible reading done. See, now we're back to those checklists. That's not what it's about, is it? The last time I read through my Bible, I think it took me three and a half years before I finally finished that cycle of it. And I thought that was pretty fast because I couldn't remember what I'd read at the beginning. Huh? If, uh, if you like expository preaching, Joe Bush takes 10 to 12 years. Yeah. Well, the, okay, so we're using, I mean, I, I use for the outline and stuff, the uh, Explore Through the Bible. I think it's a five-year program to get through all the books. But you, we're not getting through every chapter, are we? We've skipped a lot of chapters. So they go through it, and the next cycle doesn't cover most of the chapters that you did the last cycle. I think, it's a, I think it takes them three cycles of five years. So that would be 15 to cover everything that's taught in Scripture. Um, that's impressive that somebody th has thought that out. All right.
couple of things to take home with us. First, we are partners with the Holy Spirit in telling others about Jesus. That's his job. He has been given to us for the purpose of being able to minister and tell other people. That's his job. He's partner with us to tell about what Jesus did. We need, to, we need to understand that. He's not doing anything on his own. He works through us, the human agents. The job has been given to us, not to him. His job is to empower us and enlighten us. Right? That's what Jesus said. Secondly, we depend on the Holy Spirit to convict others about sin. It is not my job to convict others about their sin. I think our world has the wrong idea about Christianity because we've become people's consciences. Uh, I, I've seen several evangelism, evangelistic series that are geared to train people to do it. And uh, some of them are, you know, you argue with the person until they recognize that they are sinful and all this. And they claim that, that, well, that's what Jesus did, only with the Pharisees. And they knew better. And that's why he was, arguing, he was dealing with them. Because they were the ones who were supposed to be in the know. But not unbelievers, not the world. They weren't the world. They were the ones in the know. They were the people that were supposed to be the knowledgeable ones. But we need to let him work. You tell somebody about who Jesus is, and then you let it simmer. It may take years for that person to be convicted of their sin. Well, actually, they probably are feeling the conviction, but before they finally relent. Because they need to. That's what has to happen. They have to decide that Jesus is right. Fire insurance isn't the goal. A relationship with Christ is. And thirdly, we can depend on the Holy Spirit to show us truth. We need to pray that he does. We need to be aware. And we need to start putting him back into our religious discussions about how the Spirit is leading us. Because that's his job. If he's not leading us, then we're leading ourselves. and we're, It's the blind leading the blind. We need to be paying attention to him. We need to talk. We need to talk that way, because we're dishonoring him. Right? If we don't, if we don't acknowledge that he's the one that's leading us, we're dishonoring the one that, that God sent us. Let's close, Father. We are grateful that you loved us enough to send the Spirit in order that we would know truth. That you cared enough for us to know what's true and not true. That you sent the Holy Spirit from the Trinity down here to be in the mud with us human beings. Father, thank you. Lord, let us, let him lead us to knowing truth and the path that we should take. In Jesus' name, amen.